Hello and welcome to the European Respiratory Journal podcast. My name is James Chalmers and I'm the chief editor of the European Respiratory Journal and we're talking cystic fibrosis on uh, this month's podcast and I'm delighted to be joined by uh, our associate editor for CF at the ERJ uh, and professor at Charité Berlin, uh, Marcus Moll. Welcome Marcus. Good afternoon James. So we've got lots of exciting research to talk about in CF. Uh, we're seeing a, a revolution in the field of cystic fibrosis. So starting off, can I ask you, uh, tell us a bit about uh, the upcoming European CF Society Conference uh, and the role that the ERJ is going to be playing there? Yeah, sure. And, you know, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to um, discuss some of the recent, um, you know, progress and papers um, on CF published in the journal. Um, and I think this year we um, are joining for the third time a journal session that was originally organized by the Journal of Cystic Fibrosis as a Society Journal and the Lancet Respiratory Medicine. Um, and we were invited um, some years ago by the ECFS to join that session based on the, 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 you know, the, the quality of um, CF work um, published in the ERJ. So this year, um, we will feature a recently published study from the French Compassionate Use Program um, that interestingly um, studied the clinical effects on the new, the most recent um, um, CFTR triple combination modulator therapy, Alexacaftor, Tezacaftor, and Avacaftor, in patients with severe lung disease that do not um, carry uh, the common F548 del allele and are therefore so far not eligible for this therapy in Europe. Okay, so let's talk about that paper, which is a really exciting paper. So this uh, was, uh, well, you, you tell us, Marcus. So the French Compassionate Program was providing the modulators to those individuals who currently in Europe are not eligible for access to those treatments. Um, but how did they uh, determine which patients would or would not benefit from those medications? Yeah, you know, I agree. That's a really interesting um, study. And, you know, to, just to provide a little bit of background. So this triple combination therapy was developed to, um, you know, to, to repair the, the folding and trafficking defect of the common F548-DEL mutation. Now, in in vitro studies in cell lines expressing other mutations, it was found um, that it can also have beneficial effects and correct some of the other missense mutations that are associated with mistrafficking. Now, in the US, the FDA um, was actually open to take this data to approve the therapy for an additional 177 rare um, CFTR mutations, whereas the EMA so far has relied only on page or um, limited it to patients with at least one F548-DEL allele um, that were included in clinical trials. So the approach of the French group um, was to, um, to hypothesize that there may be patients that are responsive um, because they have rare mutations of unknown functional consequences um, so therefore, they are actually pretty unusual in so far. A novel approach was just to treat all patients without an F548-DEL allele. So what they found was, um, number one, patients with nonsense mutations that do not produce CFTR protein did not respond. 
which is sort of confirming to um, what we know about CF and the and the uh, pharmacology. And these were about 50% of their cohort. Out of the other 50%, um, that res- uh, the other 50% responded to the triple combination therapy. And when they looked at the genotypes, they found about half of them had FDA-approved mutations. So that was also an important um, confirmation of previous in vitro studies. But interestingly, they identified another half, yeah, the, the other half of this group responded to this novel therapy clinically, um, which was determined by clinical response in terms of improvement in lung function, as well as improvement in sweat chlorides as a biomarker of CFDR function, um, which was determined by a, a board of experts after four to six weeks of intervention. Yeah, so this is very exciting. So people who wouldn't otherwise have had access to these treatments uh, benefiting, uh, as you say, in terms of lung function and sweat chloride. Uh, let's let's assume that now many of these patients will receive modulated therapy. I mean, what's the potential impact of this paper? What percentage or number of patients are we thinking might be able to to benefit? Yeah, I mean, you know, with the um, so with the U.S. approval. We at the moment think we are just above 90% of eligibility. And if this, you know, based on the results of this paper, this gets a broader attention and approval as an approach, um, this could lead to, you know, probably close to 95% um, of eligibility based on the genotype. Yeah, so it sounds sounds small, but it's obviously a huge um, advance for these patients, you know, with ultra rare mutations, um, where it would never be possible to do a traditional um, clinical trial. Yeah, and I think that's a key thing. This is an observational study, but this is in a group of patients with rare mutations where you could never possibly do a placebo-controlled study. What What do you think is the future of this, Marcus? Because this um, study won't have been able to capture every rare mutation. So there will still be many mutations out there where we don't know what the response is. Is the way this study was done the way to do it, you know, test tested in a patient and see, or are there potentially in vitro approaches that could be used? Yeah, you know, absolutely. So I think one, I think it's a very interesting approach to do it this way. Um, but there was that there were some patients where the the clinical experts were struggling with making the call. Um, so you know, I think in the future um, there may be opportunities to combine this with in vitro testing, not in cell lines, but in patient-derived cell models that have been developed over the past um, past years, including um, rectal organoids um, <clears throat> as well as primary nasal epithelial cells that allow to study CFTR function in individual, you know, in cells from individual patients. And I think combining these two approaches um, will really, um, you know, lead us the way to further enhance precision medicine for CF and make sure every patient um, who's responsive um, to these therapies um, will actually become eligible. So this is a very exciting paper. It's online in the uh, May issue of the European Respiratory Journal. So everyone listening, please go and uh, give that paper a read. And if you're attending the European CF conference, you're welcome and invited to step by in the journal session. And I'm really looking forward 
to the discussion of the data in that forum. Yeah, so please do go along to that that session. It's great for the European Respiratory Journal to have that profile in CF. But this paper is not the only exciting paper coming up in CF in the journal. We've had a number of, it's a really exciting scientific time for CF. So we have a lot of very high quality papers coming through. Do you want to give us a taster of what else is coming soon to the journal, Marcus? Yes. So, I mean, I totally agree. It's a really exciting time, not only for clinical, but also for translational research, because we have now the opportunity to, um, you know, in, in investigate initiated observational studies to look at the consequences of CFDR dysfunction or, you know, improving um, 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 CFDR um, dysfunction um, in these patients in the real world setting. Um, there is a, a couple of actually um, back-to-back um, papers we have recently published in the EHA. Interestingly, not on epithelial cell function, the airway epithelium that we typically focus on in CF research, but on macrophage function. And um, it's been it, it's long been known that CFTR is expressed in macrophages and that it plays an important role in. Um, both phagocytosis, but then also intracellular um, 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 killing of bacteria. And so what these um, two studies independently did is that they again studied the effects of initiation of this triple combination therapy on macrophage function and asked the question if this correlates with the clinical response. And they could very nicely show that um, ETI restores CFTR function in macrophages, and that that improves bacterial killing, including killing of pseudomonas, and um, that these improvements are associated with clinical improvements. So I think this is uh, very interesting work because it's sort of out of our usual focus, and it, because it could also have important um, therapeutic implications in the future. Um, if, um, you know, telling us that we should probably more think about the macrophage as an important innate immune cell, um, important for lung defense, also as a therapeutic target. It's very exciting. I mean, the um, the triple combination allows us to figure out in humans what the CFTR does beyond uh, the epithelium. Because whereas we can study things in, for example, knockout animals, um, they're not always relevant to humans. Whereas here we have actually a human system where you have a profound change in CFTR function, allowing uh, really impressive delineation of the function of this protein in different human tissues. I suspect we're going to see a lot more of this sort of work, uh, Marcus, in, in, in different organ systems exploring the role of CFTR. Yes, that's one hot topic in the future when we, you know, as we can treat the lung better, the extrapulmonary manifestations, but we still um, also have to understand better what's going on in the lung um, with this CFTR um, modulator therapy. And therefore, um, happy that um, another um, paper will soon be published in the journal where. Um, I was um, involved in, in a study, in an interdisciplinary study, and we performed here in Berlin, um, where we really took a, a multimodal approach, if you want, to look at the downstream consequences of CFTR function, including mucus rheology, because the mucus is highly viscoelastic in CF patients, but also changes of the microbiome 
um, and inflammation and the, the proteome of the sputum. And, um, you know, these studies in, in my mind are important um, because we can learn um, how much we can achieve with restoration of CFTR function in, um, in established lung disease. But they are also informative with regards to the question how much, how many additional therapies um, will be necessary. So key finding, um, key findings of this study were um, that ETI therapy um, rapidly improves um, mucus rheology, um, the microbiome composition, including relative and absolute load of pseudomonas. Um, it reduces inflammation, including protease activity. Um, however, um, there's still in all outcome measures um, substantial residual abnormalities or changes. You know, we were able to include a healthy control, and by comparison to the healthy control, I would say the residual changes in these patients were at least in the range of other chronic airway diseases such as non-CF bronchitis. Okay, so that's, I think, a really, really important study, um, actually with therapeutic implications, because there's a lot of question at the moment on the sputum rheology side of whether we should be stopping mucoactive drugs. Uh, and on the antibiotic side, whether some patients still require their inhaled antibiotics. So ba based on your data, what do you think the the answer to those questions is going to be? Yeah. So, I mean, just to, you know, to have it clear, these were adult patients with chronic lung disease. They had an, an average um, FEV1 in the, you know, in the 50s, 60s. Uh, and But in this patient population, um, we found residual mucus dysfunction based on the rheology. Um, we found that, you know, although the pseudomonas um, um, load was reduced, most of the patients that were chronically infected with pseudomonas before retained their chronic infection. Um, um, and um, there was still free protease activity, yeah, both of neutrophil elastase as well as the other um, neutrophil serine proteases. So my prediction would be, because we know that these factors yeah, um, are key risk factors for lung disease progression, um, now, my prediction would be um, that um, the, um, this patient group will still benefit from more effective mucolytics, um, more effective anti-inflammatory slash anti-protease therapies that are currently developed for bronchiectasis, for example, um, as well as novel approaches, more effective anti-infective approaches, um, such as phage therapy, that I think is a very exciting um, new approach to target the chronic pseudomonas infection. So this is a really important paper, isn't it? Because um, you hear people talking about CF being a problem that's solved. Uh, and it's clear uh, from this data and from other data that particularly for the adults with established lung disease, there's going to be an ongoing need for additional treatments uh, uh, long term. So that leads me quite nicely to the last question, Marcus, which is really to ask you to gaze into your crystal ball and tell us what is the what is the future for CF? So that is a real crystal ball question. James. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I would probably start um, saying that it will be important that we do the, the same um, studies yeah, on the both on the basic defect as well as the 
the downstream consequences in the lung now in children um, that can be um, treated earlier. So we know from functional measurements that the current CFTR modulator therapy restores about 40 to 50% of CFTR function. So a key question will be, is that already good enough to sort of long-term prevent um, irreversible damage of the lung? Um, so that will be a key question because it will tell us if it is probably important to further enhance functional correction yeah, um, in, in children to prevent the onset of lung disease if we can start early. Um, and then um, a big focus at the moment is obviously on the patient that cannot benefit from CFTR modulators. Yeah? So these are the you know, plus minus 10% of genetically ineligible patients. Um, and there is a real focus at the moment um, on our revival, if you want, on gene therapy with improved technologies, you know, from ranging from making more stable RNA for RNA replacement therapy that could be done by inhalation, as well as development of less immunogenic viral vectors, such as um, adeno-associated virus um, that are non-integrating, but also um, um, developments um, in lentiviral vectors that could potentially integrate into the genome for long-term correction. And then obviously, ultimately, um, also gene editing with CRISPR-Cas-based technologies that, if successful, could really be used to, you know, to, to obtain a cure of a patient's individual um, mutation that would then really, you know, not only be a, a, a therapy, but also a cure. So I think that is very interesting, but it's also early times. Um, it would obviously um, be great um, to see some of this work also coming to the journal. Very exciting. Uh, we've seen a revolution in CF and it sounds like there's more revolutions to come. Uh, a really exciting area of, of translational science uh, and patients really benefiting uh, from uh, these really effective therapies. Thank you, Marcus. That has been a really nice uh, summary of all of the action that's going on in the journal around cystic fibrosis and a reminder for those attending the European CF conference to go along to the journal session uh, and see those uh, really exciting data presented. Um, this has been the European Respiratory Journal podcast. My thanks to Marcus Moll uh, for making this such an exciting discussion and we'll be back next month discussing more uh, exciting new respiratory science. Um, see you all soon.